Good morning, Genesis Church. Hello to those of you that are tuning in with us online today. If you're new or visiting, my name is Jerry. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're so glad to have you here. I love, that's my favorite thing that we do all morning long outside of worshiping Jesus. I love to see people. If you want to know how to do that right, get up out of your seat and move around the room. Love seeing you guys uh, connect. Um, Before we jump into today's message, uh, I want to fill you in real quick on the young lady we prayed for last week. And I've had so many of you ask, text, call, how is she doing? Nothing's really changed. Um, but I want to continue. I want to ask you to continue to pray for a miracle in Kim's life. But if you're interested in helping their family, you can email us at info at genesischurch.me or find me after service and I can direct you to some resources. But thank you for being such a loving and caring church family um, to ask, to ask. I know that their family really appreciates that. So, um, all right, let's turn a corner here. How many of you remember how cold and miserable it was on Halloween night. If you have kids, you're like, oh, it was, it was horrible. For those of you that didn't have to go out, it was awful. Windy, rainy, cold. I think there was snow at one point in time. And the, like the debate was, how long are our kids gonna make it? Well, my 10-year-old daughter was all about it. My 13-year-old son, he was gonna die out there as long as he needed to be. He had, he had one goal in mind. He said, dad, we're going to hit every house in the neighborhood and I'm going to collect as much candy as humanly possible. My daughter peeled away early. We kept going. We kept walking. And after two hours, we were in the dark. It was cold. And he was like, he, he could not get his pillowcase up on his shoulder. So you know what he did? He was like, he looked at his big, strong dad and said, will you carry this? And he handed it to me. By my estimation, 15 to 20 pounds of candy. I started curling it as I was walking. I was like, it's my workout today. That much candy. Here's a picture of what it looked like when we got home, okay? It's a lot of candy. It's a lot of candy. The next day, he decided to organize it, okay? So he had almost 25 full-size candy bars, big score there. And you would think this would be enough candy to give this young man contentment, right? And you would think since our neighbors gave it to him freely that he would freely share with his family. You would think that he would share with his dad willingly who carried that haul home for him. You would be wrong because he guards it like a leprechaun guards a pot of gold. I mean, it's in a certain room in our house and if he hears people messing there, he runs in and he's like, what are you, get out of here. I mean, he is vicious about this candy. Now, just so you know, he knows that I'm sharing this story. I'm not publicly shaming him. He could learn how to share a little bit better, but here's my point. We all tend to want to hoard something like that, right? We all have something in our lives that we're holding on to. I mean, does anybody else here have more clothes and shoes maybe than you know what to do with on a regular basis? Ladies, just honest question. Do you really need a handbag for every possible occasion under the sun? Okay, that's no, well, we're gonna work on that. We're gonna work on that. The answer is maybe, not yes. <laughs> Fellas, how many toys and gadgets do you really need to feel secure in your manhood? By the way, that new, that new driver you're putting in your bag, that's not the problem. You're the problem, right? Kids, will there ever be enough Legos or Barbies or Pokemon cards? Here's one, let's go back a few years. How many of you remember hoarding toilet paper during COVID, right? Because we just thought they're never going to make it again. What are we going to do? We've all been there. Now, why are we tempted to hoard and to hold on to things like this? Well, deep down inside of us, we're convinced that more of a good thing has to make us happy. More of good stuff means good things for us. But what we've been talking about lately is our pursuit, our drive for more 
it's causing us some major, major problems. According to NerdWallet, the average American household has over $15,000 in credit card debt on top of $34,000 in student loan debt. That's a lot of debt to be carrying on top of a mortgage and car payments and all those other things. Every year, roughly 1.5 million households in the United States file for bankruptcy. Money and possessions is the number one cause of divorces uh, among couples in their 20s and 30s. Our love for money and stuff makes us jealous of the people around us because we want what everybody else has and it leaves us feeling anxious and worried like we've gotta have more. We just have to have more. But I wanna be clear. This is not how God intends for us to live. This is not what he wants for us. If you have a Bible, I wanna invite you to turn to Luke chapter 18. We're gonna get there in just a moment. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles under the seats around the room. Feel free to take one of those as our gift to you. Uh, Last week, we kicked off this new series called Less is More. And in this series, we wanna see how God views money and possessions and wealth and resources and generosity. If you missed last week's message, I wanna encourage you to go back and to check it out. Last week, we we asked the question, well, how can I have less greed and and have more gratitude? Today, the question is, how can we learn to want less stuff so we can experience more contentment? Now, before we jump in, just a quick note to those of you that are new or visiting. I can read your mind. You're thinking, great. We picked the wrong day to come. This is the worst possible day to visit a church. We're going to bow our heads and you can just slip out, okay? We're not going to do that. I want to invite you to lean in, okay? Because God has some really important things to say about money. Throughout scripture, Old and New Testament, he speaks on money and possessions over 2,000 different times. Jesus spoke about money and possessions more than he talked about heaven and hell combined. What does that tell us? That tells us this is a very important subject. Here's a summary of Jesus's thought on this. In Matthew chapter six, he says this, don't store up treasures here on earth, Store your treasures in heaven where your treasures are. That is where the desires of your heart will also be. Jesus says, pay close attention. This is a heart issue. Jesus knows that the way that we view money and possessions has the potential to shape our hearts. And it can be positive in life-giving or it can be negative and disruptive. It really comes down to whether or not we view money and resources and possessions as a resource to manage or an idol to worship. A resource is a supply, a support, or a service that can be used and distributed as needed, but an idol is anything that we put in the place of God, and that's dangerous. Obviously, those two are very different. So, This is why Jesus spoke about this so often. It makes sense that he would say, hey, pay close attention because I want you to use your wealth and your resources to help people find their way back to God. Because if you're not, you're gonna worship them as an idol and it'll distract you away from God. And somebody pointed this out. I think this is really interesting. Apparently Jesus talked about wealth and finances so often that people came to him to ask for financial advice. We're gonna look at two examples today in the gospel of Luke. The first is in Luke 18. You might've heard this story before. There's this wealthy young man that comes to Jesus and he asks a really important question. This is the most important question in life. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Good teacher, what must I do to be right with my father in heaven? And listen to Jesus's response. 
Luke 18, 22, sell everything you have and give to the poor and then you'll have treasure in heaven. And then he says, and then you follow me. But when the young man heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Now this might be the best example in scripture of how dangerous money and possessions can be when they take hold of our heart. Jesus gives this young man a very clear and concise answer to his question. And this young man stands and he looks at Jesus on one side and he thinks about his stuff over here and he looks back and forth. And ultimately he chose to put his security in his stuff instead of the eternal security that Jesus had come to offer. Now, just to be clear, the problem wasn't this guy, that this guy had a lot of stuff The problem was that his stuff now had him. His stuff had taken possession of him. And when that happens, we will never experience the true contentment that Jesus has come to offer us, that only Jesus can offer us. Now, if you go back a few chapters to Luke chapter 12, we see two brothers. They're fighting over their inheritance and they drag Jesus in. They're like, Jesus, we need you to weigh in on this topic. In Luke 12, this is what Jesus says. Watch out. He's speaking to two brothers. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. We could just stop right there. But then Jesus goes on to tell a parable. He says, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. I'll get more stuff. And that's where I'm gonna store all my surplus grain. And I'll... And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Pause. I want you to think really hard on this. Let's make an observation. Is this guy doing anything different than you and I are doing right now? He's working hard. He's saving for the future. To his credit, business is good. It's looking like he might have an early retirement. I mean, let's be honest, we're all kind of gunning for that, right? That's the goal. But look at how God responds to this man. God said to him, you fool. Now, I don't know about you. I've done some pretty stupid things in my life. I don't ever want to give God a reason to say, you fool. Now, was this guy a fool because he worked hard? Was this guy a fool because he was saving up for retirement? Look at what God says. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with everyone who stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. This guy's problem wasn't that he had worked hard. His problem wasn't that he had saved for the future. His problem was that he had become self-reliant. He did not rely on God for anything. And God said, you are being foolish. Gary Johnson points out, this guy's problem was twofold. He never saw beyond his life. If you go back and look in this parable, the words I, me, my, and myself are included 10 different times. He was very self-absorbed. He never saw beyond his life, but he never saw beyond this life. He did not have an eternal perspective. He thought this is all that he was living for. And so when the time came for him to stand before God, to give an account of his life, God looks and says, I'm not impressed. 
All that stuff you have has no eternal value. You are not rich towards me. You have not invested anything in the kingdom of heaven. Now, this parable should catch our attention because we live in a world that says this is what you're supposed to do. You work hard, you save up, you plan for retirement. None of those things are sinful, by the way. None of those are bad things. Jesus says the problem is when you hoard all your stuff for you and you are not rich towards God, that is a sin issue. Now, this parable teaches us a really important principle. You probably already know this principle. Our appetites for whatever it is, they only know one word and that word is more. And here's the problem with that. More is never enough. More just wants more. So, you're smart people, you know this, but it's a hard lesson to learn. So since we're learning that less is more, here's a question. How can we learn, especially as followers of Jesus? If you're not following Jesus, I guess you don't have to listen to this, but if you're a follower of Jesus, how can you learn to want less stuff so that we can have more contentment? Now, first, I think it's helpful for us to take a step back and to view just how wealthy we are, like what we actually have. So on a scale from one to 10, one is dirt poor and 10 is filthy rich. I want you to rank yourself. Now I want you to turn to your neighbor and compare answers. Yeah, nobody's gonna do that, right? That'd be awkward. Look, we live on the north side of Indy, okay? We're in Carmel, Indiana. There is extreme wealth all around us. It's easy for us to say, I don't, I don't have much of anything. Well, I did some research that you might find a little interesting. I found a website called Giving What We Can. And at this website, it has a calculator to help you understand how wealthy you are in comparison to the rest of the world. And all you have to do is punch in some basic numbers and it tells you, it gives you a percentage. Okay, so last week we learned the average income for a single person in Hamilton County is $47,000. So I just put one person, $47,000, and this is what I found. If you make $47,000 as an individual, you are wealthier than 98.3% of the rest of the people in the whole world. There's only 1.7% of people wealthier than you. Now, is anybody feeling wealthy yet? Probably not. Let's imagine that you have a spouse and you've got four kids like me. And okay, and you're like, okay, that, that should change things. But maybe your spouse works. Maybe you make more money than this. The average income for a household in Hamilton County is almost $99,000, $98,880. You, if you make that much money, you are wealthier than 94% of the rest of the world. And that's assuming that you have a spouse and four kids like me. Now, we should look at those numbers and say, okay, we have a lot, but we, unfortunately, we look at everybody else and think, well, I don't know, I don't care what I want. I want what you want. I want what you have. We look around and there's this anxiety about what everybody else has and we're just not able to be content with what we have. The problem is we live in, a, in an affluent area and we live in an affluent country and we live in a, in a culture of better, bigger, faster, and newer. We have appetites that only want more and they're never satisfied. And in this parable that we just read, what was God's judgment against that man? You've got a lot of stuff, but you've never been rich towards me, God says. Now that tells me 
that being rich towards God is a pathway to ultimate contentment in life. Now, earlier I was teasing my son, Braun, for being stingy with his candy. He's in middle school, it's candy. You would expect that. He can grow in that area. Okay, son? But, but throughout his whole life, anytime Braun has had money, and he's never had a bunch, he's got odd and end jobs, but even since he was very little, Braun has been so willing to give his money or to share his money or to spend his money on other people. He didn't even give it a second thought. And he is like, percentage-wise, wildly generous. I'll tell, I can live with the candy thing because his heart is in the right place when it comes to money. And Jesus wants all of us to have a heart that's in the right place because if our hearts are in the wrong place here, it is going to distract us away from God. So how do we grow in this area? What does it look like? How can we pursue contentment? Last week, we shared an analogy or an illustration called the generosity ladder. We've used it around here before. And this ladder is a really simple tool to help us figure out where am I when it comes to living generously towards God and others? And how can I take a next step on this journey? Last week, we said the first step is just to become a first time giver, to give for the first time, but not just to give for the first time, to give out of a heart of gratitude towards God as an act of worship. Now, taking that first step is a huge step because it's a step of faith. It requires that we trust God as the source of all of our resources. But giving for the first time isn't where the journey ends, it's just the beginning. Learning to live generously towards God and others is an ongoing process. And so the next step on this ladder is to learn to give consistently. Now, I, I, I use the word decide, deciding to live as a consistent giver because it doesn't just happen naturally. You don't just wake up one day and you're like, I'm, gonna, like, I'm just a generous person. You have to decide to live this way with your, with your resources. Now, I shared a little bit of, of my story, my wife and I's story last week. When we were first married 22 years ago, I just started a job. She was still in school. We had two student loans, two cars. We were learning to live together as new renters. We had all kinds of bills and we were dabbling with credit cards because we thought credit cards helped you get ahead. They don't. A credit card's like a shovel that you just dig yourself a hole. We did not know any better. But thankfully, in spite of all of that, we were a part of a great church in Louisville, Kentucky that taught on a regular basis the, the value of living generously and giving to God first. And even though we had considerable debt and we didn't feel like we had much that we could give, we decided we should probably trust God on this because we're messing this up. And so we just started doing what we felt like God was telling us to do. And so in spite of our, get, our debt, we not only gave for the first time, but we started giving consistently. Every time we got paid, we would sit down and give. Now this was before electronic giving. So we had to learn a discipline of sitting down with our checkbook and writing out a check way back in the day. And we would give that check every week, but it developed a really good habit and pattern for us. And during this process, I remember our pastor preaching on verses like 2 Corinthians 9, 7 that said, each must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. And since we're in church, I am not gonna lie to your face and tell you that I always give cheerfully. We had to learn. It was a discipline that we developed, but we just chose to trust God and we learned to give in gratitude. And here's, here's the true story. The numbers never really added up. 
They never added up before we gave because we were living outside of our means. We were digging a hole of debt and we didn't know what we were doing. But then after we started giving, the numbers didn't add up in a whole different way because we didn't have a whole lot, but somehow God managed to multiply the little bit that we had. And as we continued to give, we started to work our way out of debt in spite of having four children and more mouths to feed. And there were times when we actually had extra. I don't even know how it's possible in the situation, in the circumstance. We paid off our cars. We paid off our student loans. Now, have we always had everything we wanted? No, but we always had everything that we needed. We have never, ever, ever gone without. And so we've just learned in our family, this is a, this is a discipline that we need to practice. We need to trust God with our stuff because it's all his Anyway, and by the way, we have not done this perfectly. If I could go back and do this all over again, I would have learned to give more earlier. I would have been more disciplined. I would have got out of debt faster. Oh my gosh, it would have made our life so much easier. Now, that's just a part of our story, but that story is not unique to us. I have heard so many people share stories just like that. In fact, this last Wednesday, I met with a group of guys from Genesis. We meet on Wednesdays, we pray for our families, and we were sharing giving stories. One guy, his story is just like ours. He works, his wife stays at home with their four kids. And this is what he said. He goes, before we gave, our life was chaos. It, it didn't make sense. But when we started giving, God started filling in all these gaps and we've never looked back. I said, man, that's my story. But then there was another guy. He, he said, I was working all summer to save up to go to college. And I had a goal of what I knew I needed to set aside. And I got to the end of the summer and I had not met my goal. And he thought, well, I'm not gonna give for a few weeks so I can hit that goal. But then he said, I remembered I was raised in a church that taught the value of giving to God first. And so I bit the bullet and I continued to give, went away to school. I didn't meet my goal. But he said, two weeks later, I got an unexpected paycheck from my employer. And then this is what he said. He said, I've never looked back. It was just like God said, just trust me. I, I, I've got you covered. Now, I don't know how to explain that other than to say God is faithful because that's his character. And God can do more. God's economy is not like our economy. God can do whatever he wants. And so we should learn to trust him. Now, those are just a few examples. I'm sure many of you have stories that are similar to that. And honestly, we would love to hear them we would love to share them if it's appropriate. So you can email us at info at genesischurch.me. Share your giving story. Tell us about the time that you gave for the first time. Share the emotion of how scary that was and what's God, what God's doing in the process. Or maybe you started giving consistently. We would love to hear your stories. And maybe you don't have a story like that yet. Okay. But I tell you, if you, if you decide to trust God and to give for the first time and you decide to give consistently and you pay attention God is gonna give you a story to tell for his glory. But I wanna be really clear on this. It's not like you're gonna give God a dollar and he's gonna give you two in return. God is not sitting at the top of a pyramid scheme. That's not how he works. He doesn't need your money, but he does want your heart. Your heart is so valuable to him. So let's, let's tie all this together. If our goal today is to learn to want less stuff so we can have more contentment, there's a simple truth that I think we can begin to practice. And it's this, when it comes to living generously towards God and others, being consistent leads to contentment. Being consistent and how we give will lead to contentment with God. And I know it sounds cheesy, okay? I laughed when I wrote it out, but that's just my story. Maybe it will stick with you. 
I would challenge you to test it and see what happens. So what are some ways that we can learn to be consistent with how we give? Well, I want you to think through all the people that you give money to on a regular basis. And you're thinking, I don't give money to people on a regular basis ever. I don't do that. Do you pay for your cell phone bill every month? Your car payment, your mortgage, all those subscription services? We all do, right? So you're practicing giving consistently somewhere, but you might think, well, yeah, but that's a, I pay them for a service that I receive. Okay, now listen to me very carefully. When you give to your local church, or you give to a ministry, you do not give to try to buy favor with God, to earn favor with God, or to pay for your salvation. Jesus has paid the price that only he can pay. That's not why we give. We give in response to what's been done for us. We give because God says, it will free your heart from greed. It will give you contentment. God says, trust me in this. And so I just want you to imagine what could happen if we started practicing the way that we give our money to other things, we'd practice that with God. And so maybe you start giving God more than a subscription service or all your subscription services. You start giving God more than your car payment, more than your cell phone bill, more than your mortgage. Pick a place, start somewhere, and just start working your way up and trust God with it. Psalm 24.1 says this. The psalmist says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it the world and all who live in it. In other words, the psalmist says, hey, everybody, pay attention. All that stuff that you think is yours, all that stuff that you're storing up in a closet, all that stuff that you hoard, it all belongs to God. He's the one that has given it to you. And the rest of scripture just says, so why don't you trust him with what you have and watch how he's going to respond. He shared with us first, why wouldn't we give back to advance his kingdom? Now I'm gonna guess, just based on national statistics alone, that one of the biggest barriers, one of the biggest hurdles to beginning to give consistently is the debt that we carry, okay? And I think that's fair. So I've got a few suggestions that I would want you to consider. This is counterintuitive, but even though you're dying in debt, I wanna challenge you to give to God first and consistently. If you're drowning in debt, you're not alone, okay? But you also need help. So why not reach out to God and say, look, I'm not doing this well. I trust you. That is, that is our story. And I can only tell you how God has worked. I've just shared it with you. There's a passage in the Old Testament in Malachi 3 where God tells the Israelites, listen, you give to me first, and you watch and see if I don't bless you in surprising ways. You can test me in this. God says, test me. It's the only time God says to test him. Another suggestion. Throughout the course of the year, we offer a course called Financial Peace. It's designed to help people view money the way God does so you can get out of debt. We're gonna offer it after the holidays. But you can go online right now and Google Financial Peace University. You can find classes that are running right now. You can even, I believe, download the content and take the class all by yourself. So that's an option. Here's the third option, and it's free. Steve Wallen used to be on staff with us as our Noblesville campus pastor. He felt God calling him to leave his job to become a financial advisor. He works for a company called Thrivent, and Thrivent has a free resource. No strings attached, no kickbacks to Steve or anyone else. It's called Money Canvas. I think we've got a quick video that you can see as you scroll down the page. You can set up free appointments 
with financial counsel that will help you build a budget, will help you manage your money, will help you work towards getting out of debt, will help you view money differently so that you can be debt-free and give to the kingdom. The give to the kingdom part, that's what I'm saying, right? That's Thriving's not gonna push that. But once we get out of debt, once we know how to manage our money, we can give to God's purposes. So if you're interested, you can scan this QR code. All the information that you need is there. But I'll give you one more. Sometimes the first thing you need to do is just to talk to somebody. I have been where you are. And so if you wanna talk about it after service, I'm not a financial advisor. I can't solve all your problems, but sometimes just talking to somebody is the best first step. So maybe we talk here or we have coffee. Just start somewhere and trust God in this area and just watch and see what he does. Now, I know that this topic, I know that this topic is overwhelming and it makes us feel uncomfortable. And God does not want us to live overwhelmed lives, but God doesn't necessarily want us to live comfortable lives either. But he does want us to live lives of contentment that can only be found in him through a relationship with Jesus. Now, the Apostle Paul, we spent the most, most of this year studying the life of the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. He had been beaten, he had been arrested, he had been threatened, and from prison, he writes to the church in Philippi, a church that he helped plant, and this is what he says. I know what it is to be in need, I know what it is to have nothing, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret to being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in one. And then he wrote these famous words, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. The secret to contentment is putting our trust in Jesus and in Jesus alone. Now, Paul did not say, I've learned the secret. I need to try harder. I need a credit card with a bigger limit. I need to buy a bunch of stuff so I can feel better. He says, nope, I can do all things through him, through Jesus who gives me strength. When Paul understood the cost that Jesus had paid for his life, Paul said, Jesus, my, my whole life is yours. I'll do whatever you want. I'll go wherever you call me to go. And Paul, Paul is saying, guys, that's the secret. If you're a follower of Jesus, don't seek your contentment in all this other stuff. Your contentment is meant to be in Christ. When you your faith in Jesus, your sins are forgiven. Everything you've ever done, past, present, and future. When you put your faith in Jesus, you are restored in a relationship with your heavenly father. Your heavenly father gives you his spirit to live inside of you to make you more like Jesus. And then he wants to use the rest of your life, all of your resources, all of your talents, all of your abilities, all of our collective resources, to make a splash for his kingdom right where we are. So if you've never placed your trust in Jesus, before you give anything, I wanna invite you to receive that gift and then give him your life and just watch what he does. If you've never given your life to Jesus, I'll be right over here after service. I'd love to talk with you about that. But for those of us that consider Genesis to be our church home, I really wanna challenge you. I want to invite you to join God on this journey of generosity, to trust him to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine with our resources for his glory. It starts by giving for the first time. It continues by being consistent. And we'll talk about the rest of that journey in the weeks to come. If you hear nothing else that I say today, here's what I want you to remember. You have a father in heaven that loves you. He gave his son to die for you. 
so that you could be restored to him. You have a savior in Jesus who laid his life down for you. He's the one that we sing to. He's the one that we give to. He's the one that we serve as our king and as our master, our king that will return someday soon. Let's pray. Jesus, would you help us to evaluate our hearts and where we stand on this matter? Would you help us to break free from greed and to live lives of gratitude? Would you help us, would you teach us to want less stuff and to want more of you for your glory, not for ours? Would you help us to let go of things, to sell what we need to sell, to give what you're calling us to give? Would you teach us to trust you in new ways? And would you help us to begin from a posture of worshiping you for what you gave to us first? Father, I pray that in the days and in the weeks and in the months to come, that we would be known as a generous church that does everything that we do, that gives so generously in your names that people are curious and they ask us, tell us why you do what we do and we get to tell them about you, Jesus. That's our prayer. And now we lift our voices to sing to you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen. Would you stand and worship with us?